Hi, it's Phil here. We're interested in the game changers in building the future of education together. In this third episode of this special series of the Game Changers podcast, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Henry Masoma, or in fact, he's going to be talking with me as well about the way in which we craft an education to produce graduates who can thrive in their world as future builders. Let's go. Henry, this is the third conversation um, we're having. We're getting to know each other. Um, we're getting to learn um, about each other as well as to talk about what it is that uh, that uh, young men need to become to thrive in today's world. We're going to talk about future builders today. And in particular, when yes, we sir. talk uh, about a future builder, we're talking about someone who leads for the future. And again, if I, if I take us to our research this is somebody who is inspired by authenticity and has the reflectiveness, the sensitivity and the strength to manage complexity by honouring the legacy of yesterday, attending to the needs of today and looking forward to what tomorrow will require of us. Um, I was um, deeply moved by the poem you read last time, which was uh, um, uh, talked about, you know, the, particularly the, the, the imagery of of the pathways through the dark. I, I, I want to read you a poem now, if I can. Um, oh, oh, yes, sir. Um, uh, I, I wrote this. Um, I wrote this on the uh, in, in the evening of my father's yes, sir. my father's wake, so that you know the, yes, after sir. after the funeral and after the 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 uh, the wake back at our place. I wrote this. It's called In Memoriam. After mm -hmm. all the fuss is done. The final guests farewelled, the last plates cleared, the empty bottles put away, and there's nothing more to do but sit in muggy, mosquito-heavy air of the garden he loves so much, with heavy eyes, no tears left, nothing left, but strong legacies and memories of his awkward, shy love flashing through my head like one of his koi, leaping from the pool, snapping at the air, falling back to water, a flash of colour, a splash and it's gone. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, I guess, I guess, uh, uh, look, I was, I was, I was talking with mom yesterday about something and uh, for whatever reason, um, we were, we were looking for uh, the eulogy that I'd written for dad's funeral because we're thinking of mm -hmm. doing something with it. Samuel, uh, uh, our producer, suggested that it might be a good thing to, to include in some of the work that we're working on. And and we found th this poem, and both mum and I had forgotten that I'd even written it. But I guess it's, it's you know, you're leading me on a journey of the heart. So I thought I'd start with the heart and say, <laughs> you know, at the end of the, you know, at the beginning of the day, not at the end of the day, but at the beginning of the day, to be a future builder, to be somebody who is to, leans into the future, who is future forward, who is future oriented, who is thinking about who we need to become. The starting point is you need to be grounded in the legacy that formed you to start with. That is correct. That is correct. What do you think are the important legacies that you have inherited? We talked about some of them from your father previously. Um, but what, what, what are the important legacies that, that, that ground you? You know, um, my legacies speak to the complexity of, of, of man and, and our existence. 
you know, most of my heroes are also villains in the story of my life. And so it's also me having the, um, the spirits to, 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 to draw from them, despite their frailties. I love the way you, you spoke of your dad in, in your poem of uh, awkward love. You know, and I think most men our age will speak of that awkward love because our fathers were taught to not love us in a way that was vulnerable, if you will. So I, I really love that piece. I, I, was just, I wanted to acknowledge that. So, uh, um, especially as one who's had a father that's been ill over the last few months, you know, and actually my dad's not well today, you know, as we're speaking. So what legacies have I inherited from? I'm reminded of my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Loriman. Mr. Loriman was about a 5'8 gentleman from England who taught me how to play volleyball. We practiced very rigorously. There was lots of discipline. He spoke very intensely towards us. Some people today might call him harsh. He called us, you daft apeth, get that ball and get it going, kind of that, you know, and you daft apeth. I remember those days, he's smoking cigarette after cigarette. But this man got us to play volleyball. I was in sixth grade and we were playing high school teams and very competitive. So this man, I say to people, did not teach me how to play volleyball. He taught me how to play life. Mm. He taught me how to play life. And, and that of itself, that speaks to the role of a teacher or a coach or a significant adult in the life of a young man that you've got to go beyond the curriculum. You've got to go beyond the academic side and you've got to be able to speak to the whole of the life of a young boy and what he might become as a man. Um, Do you know, Henry, one of the, one of the things that we found in our research when we talked with boys all over the world and we asked them to, name a memorable moment that occurred in their character development and to explain it 52% of boys who are asked and this is a you know nearly a thousand boys 52% replied with something about a piece of learning that occurred outside a classroom so it could have been in a sporting team it could have been in a, a cultural or performing arts context or it could have been on an, an outdoor education mode um, and, and and what the boys have taught us is that like you with your volleyball coach if you're going to think about who you're going to become then it's likely that you're going to learn that outside a classroom and then bring it back into a classroom and to bring it into relationships after that that is correct that is correct. You're making me think, Phil. Um, I'm reminded of a man, uh, my grandmother's brother. His name was Dennis. And he had a 12th grade education. And by the way, when Zambia got independence, uh, the history books record that there was only about 109 barely college-educated Zambians left in the country to run that, that country in 1964. And the, and the first university in Zambia was established in 1966. And my dad was, actually happened to be one of the first graduates out of that university in about 1971-72. Anyway, um, my grandpa, Den- Dennis, um, spoke English. He was the only 
man over the age of 70 that I knew that spoke English that was African at the time. Man, I looked forward to his visits. There's a way he spoke that spoke to my soul. Um, and even now, if ever there was a man I'd love to bring back and put even in this conversation, to hear this conversation, it's, it's Grandpa Dennis. He spoke that old Queen's English that was very proper. You could, you could, you, when he spoke, you saw it written, you know, and he, 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 he spoke so ever so eloquently that um, I had a lot of respect for him. He had an integrity about him, and his, his integrity um, was pure. And so I think of Grandpa Dennis as a man who, was, um, who laid a legacy. And, you know, you and I today are talking about, some people might think of us, you know, we've talked about death quite a bit, but there's something deeply instructive about death that um, I love the idea of, you know, you and I are talking about future builders, of reminding of our young men of the fact that we are not immortal, but mortal beings, and that when they learn how to die, they learn how to live. And in the last few years of my life, I've learned that I really want to die well. So there's certain things I've started to put in place. And those things have everything to do with legacy. That when I die well, my sons will inherit something that is orderly and constructive, rather than chaotic and destructive. And so uh, I'm reminded of a poem. Man, you and I are becoming super poetic. I hope that's OK. And guess what? In fact, it's not even a poem. It's a prayer, which is, I guess, prayers are poems. And this poem at the end says, when it comes your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Phil, this poem says at the end, sing your death song and die like a hero going home. I hope our young men at, the, at their point of demise feel like heroes. And this is why this talk of future building is important to me, is at that point when that appointment that none of us can ever postpone or move forward, when that appointment comes, that you'd say, as we said in our last conversation, that you were one who gave and encouraged others, you were one that was curious of others, you wanted to seek out their humanity, you wanted to understand where they were coming from, their story, you wanted to remember the man that's invisible, the woman that's invisible, and that you have the courage of heart to actually sit long enough and almost sense their pain, if you will. So what I'm hearing here is um, from this that to dance from yesterday to today to tomorrow, that the through lines of this, there's a legacy piece. There's a piece right. about an understanding of our mortality and therefore our moral responsibility of what to leave behind it. And then there is, of course, that connection and that compassion and that kindness, which says that what we're here to do is to help other people rather than just to promote ourselves. I think that's a great starting point for thinking about what leadership really looks like when you're focused on being a future builder. Again, as I did last time, Henry, I, I want to share with you just a little bit of the research around what... Um, awesome. Um, uh, what, what we've found from talking to um, school communities all over the world in terms of w what they might expect um, from boys as leaders 
who are future builders. And it's, it's interesting that you mention complexity right up front in this conversation, because it's all about complexity. So three things again, there has to be a willingness to become a dedicated leader who can translate vision into a shared story of progress. So you've got to be able to see the way forward and you've got to be able to translate that into a narrative that with the second thing, let's pick up that narrative notion. You've got to have patience. You've got to have judgment and you've got to have insight and build with people that narrative that, that, that helps them to forge a path towards a preferred future and that brings others with you on that journey. The third thing, you have to be prepared to justify what needs to be done and how and why we should do it together. You've got to be prepared to stand up and give the rationale, the compelling rationale, even if others don't believe it, even if the naysayers are there, even if the knockers are there, you've got to be prepared to do that. So there's a willingness to translate vision into a shared story of progress. There's patient judgment insight to build a narrative towards a preferred future and build others and, and bring others along. And then you've got to be prepared all the time to bring people back to the compelling, the, the compelling rationale, the reason why, um, you know, which is, of course, the Simon Sinek research that influences all of us around the world now. You know, you know, bring it back to why, bring it back to why, bring it back to why. And and it, it's it's funny because if you think of little boys when they're three or four years old, what's the question they all ask? Why? Why? <laughs> that is so true. That, that is so true. I'm I'm I'd link that to my my uh, my four year old son. Oh my goodness, we're going through the why phase. Um, I love that you bring up Simon Sinek um, and his work and the three points that you show that the research is showing. What I hear from what you're saying, Phil, is um, a future builder has to lead us in a way that that speaks to all of us. And when I speak all of us, not meaning all of us, many people, all of us, all of us in us. Um, a future leader is one that actually, this is one model that I'm, I've chosen to give up on from my past legacy, that a future leader will actually help us emote. You know, I love that word, emote. And so in their, in their, in their mission to justify, as you put it, to justify that narrative so we could execute, they have to be willing to be, for lack of a better word, vulnerable to let us into this space where they're not, where even when they're not totally sure of that which they're selling, they're honest about it, but still believe. So I'd like to borrow some words that I heard from a speaker who said, faith is not the absence of doubt, but the courage to believe in spite of doubt. Mm, absolutely. I think um, I think one of the things that is different in the leaders that um, the leaders of today versus perhaps the leaders of a former time is that willingness to put their vulnerability, to put their brokenness on display, and to do it in a way that is 
it's not mawkish it's not self-serving it, it it's just real you know because if if we live in a time where the volume pace and intensity is greater than ever before if we live in a time where old models of certainty are falling apart if we live in a time of increasingly polarized politics if we live live in a time where technology seems to be both the answer and the problem all at the same time if if we if we live in a time where our young men are confronted by a need to excel and yet um uh, a challenge to express a voice and agency that is new then we have to have a way of managing this which is honest and 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 the honesty and the courage and the responsibility of a good man who becomes a leader as a future builder is is to fess up you know you can't just can't you can't you can't just blag your way through it you know you you, you've got to be real around that yes yes you know phil i read a book by a former leader from uh, i won't name the country an african nation and it's almost a memoir it is probably the most problematic leadership book I've ever read. I've seen it in the New York Times. I thought it would be a good read. And this leader pretty much is painting himself as a demigod and how his nation needed him. It was, he spoke with a level of confidence that was more on the arrogant side. And I remember reading that book and thinking, as they say in America, Houston, we have a problem. Um, and one of the things that that speaks to is if you look at the work of Peter Sange uh, in the book, The Fifth Discipline, and how he talks about the ladder of inference and how you and I climb that ladder real quickly and we have to learn how to short circuit our brains. There's a couple of things that he identifies, and I'll read this to you. It says, we live in a world of beliefs we self-generate based on conclusions made and inferred from what we observe, plus our past experiences. Our ability to achieve results is eroded by feelings that, number one, our beliefs are the truth. Number two, the truth is obvious. Number three, our beliefs are based on true data. And number four, the data we select is the real data. And so when you bring up these issues of polarization and all these different things, I think of myself and how many times in my past where I've arrived at a place where I feel like my truth is the truth. And so how do you and I build, help build these young men to recognize that um, no one has a monopoly on truth. And how do you and I also maintain that level of humility that invites these young men to these spaces where they acknowledge that surely we all see in part, as scripture says, and we all see dimly as in a mirror. And so that's a space I think of when I think of this future builder. And so the word um, humility keeps ringing in my head. Humility, humility. The teacher, the teacher humble and the student humble, then who's responsible for actually building this space? Is it the student or the teacher? Oh, it's, it's, it's all of us, you know, as, as, as you reminded us uh, in, in, in our first conversation that we had, it's, uh, it's, it takes a village, really. It yes, takes sir. a village. But we have to, you know, it's, it's one, of, one of the missions that we've had at Circle is to explore what is the character of an excellent education. How do we develop the character and competency of young men? And one of the pernicious myths that keeps getting um, propagated uh, around this is that character cannot be taught. It can only be 
caught. And that's just not true. In, funnily enough, only 7% of teachers around the world will, will say that. But those 7% are really quite powerful in the staff rooms around the world. The reality is character must be taught and it must be caught and it also must be sought at the same time. That's and, and the seeking of character, that's the job of the boy going on his pathway to excellence. That's where he's thinking about becoming a man. That's where he is not contemplating who he is today so much as who he must become. Um, and, and, and again, that's that dance between yesterday, today, and tomorrow, I'm, 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 as as we're just talking about the notion of humility and leadership uh, and so on, I'm reminded of uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley's poem Ozymandias, which um, uh, I'm going to read to you now because I love this poem, and it's just it, it's just um, it's, it's hey Phil, it's, we're changing we're changing our, our conversations to uh, musings and poems. Absolutely, bring it on, brother, bring it on, bring it on. But Shelley said, so Shelley said, you know, this is what he wrote. He said, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sand stretch far away. Ozymandias is the man of yesterday, the future builder is the man who's who's leaning towards tomorrow, but knows how to take us from yesterday to today to to tomorrow. You know, it's um uh, again, it's, th these are old words, but you know, old old words speak strongly as well as new words sometimes. Wow, wow! You you read that and it makes me just want to sit back in the chair and just like. <laughs> I think that the command and control model of leadership is gone. Do you agree? I totally agree. And um, I love to uh, mess with people, especially in the United States. You know, what I do when I teach on what, uh, when I try to uh, establish a operational definition of leadership when I teach uh, leadership courses is I put a picture of, an, um, or I, I show a video of, somebody dancing to the Congolese music in Africa, then I show a video of somebody dancing to some kind of hip-hop or some techno, and I say, all these are pieces of art that are appreciated differently. And I say that that is the case of leadership. It's, it's both art and science, but it's appreciated differently across spaces. You know, I like to tell students that art is like, I mean, leadership, leadership is like love. If you and I go across the globe and ask people to define love, uh, everybody comes up with different answers, but they're talking about the same thing. And so, again, we go back to the word complexity, Phil, the whole complexity of leadership. But I love it when you and I leave leadership room enough for it to have fluidity and for it to be organic. In fact, Phil, I want to go back to something you said earlier on, if that's okay. You talked about those people, and I want to speak loudly to these people who are saying character cannot be taught. I want to speak to them. Anybody who's saying character cannot be taught 
is somebody who limits the definition of teaching. I think the people that say character cannot be taught are those people that limit the space of teaching as only being in a brick-and-mortar space that has some a talking head at the front of the room. But when you and I have a dynamic definition of teaching, a dynamic and democratic definition of teaching, we are humble as educators to realize that our students are learning from all environments and hopefully there's a level of synthesis that occurs with the environment that we hopefully create in the classroom that then bursts this transformational space that allows them for them to be future builders. Um, so yes, it can be taught, and yes, it should be caught, and yes, it should be sought. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, if this is what teaching is, what and this is what character is this is what leadership is this is what complexity is along the way i'm interested perhaps and we might make this the sort of last thing last thing that we talk about today um i'm really interested in the notion of what good communication looks like because when we pull apart all of the competencies of leaders at the end of the day it's the communication piece which seems to That's be most important these days what are you teaching your What are you teaching your students about communication? Um, let me say what I hope I'm teaching them. <laughs> I am. I hope that I'm teaching them to be better listeners, and I'll speak to that a little bit, Phil. In, in the United States, in our curriculum for all undergraduate education, we have speech classes, and I have never ever seen in any curriculum a listening course at all. So my hope is, and again, I like to steal like from the sayings of my homeland. There's a saying that says, I won't I have you try to say this one. I've already given you one in our last uh, Thank you. Time, Thank right? you. That's very, that, that's very kind of you. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> learning that last one. <laughs> and what that means, Phil, is that your life is in your ear. Your life is in your ear. And so my hope is that in the, in the whole equation of communication is that if I'm teaching my students how to truly listen, not only listen with their ears, listen with their eyes, listen with their touch, you know, listen with their senses, I think if, if that is passed on, we don't have to worry about the speaking. So what do we need to do to teach our young men who want to be future builders to listen? We need to force them to what psychologists call to have cognitive dissonance more than we do. To allow them to go into spaces where they're confronted with the other story and challenge. Let me give you an example. Last week, one of, what I did in one of my courses, my classes, is I, I put a chair in the front of the class and I said to them, you know what, I, as much as this is important that we are supposed to cover in class, I get a sense that this, the class is going through a slump, you know, you know like a an emotional slump. You know, they weren't, there was midterms coming and everything. So I put a chair in the front of the class and I said, whoever has anything to share about themselves or to speak to the idea of who you are, please do so. And Phil, when I allowed my students to come as themselves, the stories that were shared in my class, I had a young man get in the front of the class and say, my father cheated on my mother for 11 years. I'm still struggling with hating him and I love him so much because he's the man who planted everything that it is that I know. But then to discover that this man lived a double life for 11 years has been problematic for me. 
when that young man did that, another young lady was given the courage to do the same. Actually, she started and he was on the back end of that. And my conclusion to my class was this, and this is what I experienced that day, Phil. In the, in the humility of my pedagogy, I found that my students were their own healers. That sometimes I interrupt in the process of their healing because I want to be the one who interjects or injects my idea of what healing looks like. But in that class last week, I saw my students heal themselves. And that class has shifted space in a way that none of my other three sections have. So sometimes, therefore, the greatest attribute that we can have as a, a teacher or a coach or a mentor or a leader is just to get out of the way and stop crowding. Get out of the space. way. And guess what I modeled that day? I listened to their stories. Mm-hmm. I could listen to your stories forever, Henry. <laughs> you, you, are, you, are, yes. you, are, you are a bard. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation today. I'm, I, 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 I think we've covered some really good territory around the nature of leadership as a, as, a, as a future builder, around that dance from yesterday to today to tomorrow, um, looking at the nature of communication, um, looking at the, and, and, and listening in particular, looking at the, the willingness to translate vision into a shared story of progress, the patient's judgment and insight to build a shared narrative, the, 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 the compelling rationale that we have to put forward, and the why, why, why all of the time. I wonder next time, sir, whether we might be able to talk about um, uh, the next um, key outcome for for young men, which is about being a solution architect. Would that suit you? That would be awesome. That would be great. Um, It would be neat to see how you and I could have this conversation around the idea of, I love the choice of words, architect, you know, can... Can they construct worlds that have, others haven't lived in? Worlds that others can enjoy that are beyond their time and beyond their space on this planet. So I look forward to that conversation. Tremendous, Henry. It's just been a privilege and a pleasure. Again, I look forward to our next conversation on Game Changers. This is me, Phil. I've been talking with Dr. Henry Masoma, my new brother and internationally acknowledged professor of kindness. We look forward to the next one. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Samuel Wiseman for Mortal Productions. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe.